welcome to UX Panther season 3 where i dushyant kanungo talk to the leaders in the design field about their journey and what inspires them to be the best i also touch upon the aspects of the industry such as jobs trends and challenges to name a few this podcast is presented by galaxy ux studio and powered by galaxy weblinks an inc 5000 company Hello everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the season 3 of the UX Panther podcast. And before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor of the episode, Galaxy UX Studio. And with that being said, this season has turning out to be something really special with people from the design community, the design leaders that we have on board. They are all coming in with brilliant ideas that we are getting to learn new things every day. and uh, this is, has been a very inspirational season so keep following us on all the mediums wherever the podcasts are available so in today's episode we have a guest who is a brilliant mentor and advisor helping entrepreneurs and startups to achieve success in the digital space with over two decades of expertise he is a pioneer who combines innovative problem solving and strategic thinking to create a symphony of innovation a master of the digital space he has no stone unturned please welcome to our podcast today's guest and multi talented founder of btng mr philip valach wow thank you that was a beautiful introduction <laughs> it's an honor so it it was a pleasure to have you here and i really uh, would like to explore and understand the the way things are in europe when it comes to designing i mean you are coming in from netherlands and dutch are known for the design and the thriving community of creative artists and designers that come uh, from the beautiful country of yours what is the journey like for you in the creative domains and the things that you are doing right now and what has been the path what is the story Well, that's a, ni- a nice question to start things off. Um, I've been recently asking uh, other creative freelancers the same question. Um, for me, it definitely goes back to studying in Amsterdam. Uh, it's been quite a few years ago, um, somewhere around 2006-ish, I would say. um it was the time when when you were even when you were able to get a website online you were already special uh, so people were already getting to know you because you were able to do just that and because of that i perhaps had the the false idea of being an entrepreneur because look at all this work coming my way but it was for different reasons uh, than i thought but It started my career uh, after after a study in Amsterdam to uh, launch a web design company as many of us uh, start. Um but after 7 years uh, I I I I felt that I was definitely in the wrong place. Um I moved to the eastern side of our country and the thing that I always found most fascinating and most fun and most engaging to do was actually talking to the business owners and asking them why do you do what you do and why do customers choose your product or your service and how do you separate yourself from your competitors and the answer most of the time was stop asking these difficult questions i just need a website so i was kind of stuck in this small business area and on the one hand i could get a bit i could perhaps get could have gotten frustrated with those business owners but i did realize 
that with what I wanted to do, I was in the wrong place. From there on, it um, it took me a little while to, to figure out what my next step was. Uh, it was a period in time where UX was definitely up and coming. It was some sort of a switch when there used to be interaction design, which was more about flash animation and button animation and transitions and stuff like that. But the user experience was up and coming and I can't say anything else that I jumped on the hype train. I uh, reached out to the largest Dutch digital agencies in the world and I said, hello, I'm Philip. I'm a freelance UX designer. If you ever need an extra pair of hands, I'd love to introduce myself and uh, perhaps we can uh, do some work in the future. And it actually worked quite well. I, uh, I started freelancing at Media Monks, uh, which is now a huge global uh, player. Uh, for them, I worked on projects for Lego and Adidas. And from there on, I've been uh, freelancing for many years in and around the city of Amsterdam and in, in the Netherlands, what we call the Randstad, which is an area around the big cities. And of course, after a couple of years of, uh, of freelancing, um, there was a period where I uh, actually had a daily commute of two hours to get there to the place where I was freelancing at the time and two hours to get back home. I've been freelancing for companies such as Philips, Vodafone, Heineken, PwC, a lot of the, the large organizations. But during my time at, uh, or after my time after the Financial Times, um, I, I burned out. Um, it was the daily commute took way too much out of me. And uh, Dushan, as you said, you're very keen on traveling and, and not it's... the commute, though. Not the <laughs> commute. Not the commute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you enjoy the destination, not the travel. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, and for me, that was uh, quite confronting. Uh, I burnt out. I took half a year and I said to myself, if only something would happen that would allow us all to work from home. Sorry about that. Yeah, that was that was pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel I do feel a bit guilty about that. Uh -huh. um, but during that time, I really got into design sprints, solving complex problems in four days, and Miro and running remote workshops. And that kind of set me uh, onto uh, the, the journey where I am now and today. So coming back to the one thing that you just mentioned about uh, the design sprints part, the design ops becomes uh, a key, something that all the design managers need every day. Now, more and more, because every time you have to justify that what work has been done in the last couple of weeks or three months or five days of engagement, I mean, it becomes really hard to just, you know, give justifications to all the business unit owners that what was going on. And in that regard, um, having a setup for a design sprints plays a bigger role. And you also feature prominently with that same regard on Miro, uh, their website and their YouTube channel. So what are your thoughts on um, on, on the, uh, the design sprints planning and uh, the way the work is managed, the design management uh, part of it? Wow, <laughs> that, that's diving into the nitty gritty. That's a really good and also complicated question. The role of design can vary within organization and company. Uh, for example, there are specific designers or maybe even UX designers who work really within a development team uh, and development teams may, may work agile, scrum, two week sprints, and they are more solving 
a challenge within a specific design sprint. If that is the structure you work with, you will most likely end up with a challenge to zoom out and, and have a view or a vision on a bit of a, a, a larger period of time. It might be a quarterly thing or maybe an, an, an annual product vision or goal. So, so that's quite diverse, I would say. When it comes with design sprints, what I really enjoy of it and what I think is, is, is the key value of larger organizations is that it, you should pull it out of a development sprint. It should, be, it should have nothing to do with, uh, oh, we're going to build something right now. It is really about thinking what is a very valuable problem that we're having and what could a potential solution be? So you're out of your daily work. It's out of what you're, what you're normally doing in a way. And you're really thinking about, well, if our customers or our company or our product is facing a challenge or a product, how could we solve that? And it's a really nice way to, in a short period of time, say, well, this, we think that this, would, uh, this possible solution would have the biggest impact on that. We've tested it and this is what, it, what, what came of it, which is a really nice way of figuring out where to go from there. Should it be in a sprint or should it be further refined? Or do you want to perhaps try a different version or a different solution as well? Uh, so it's, uh, it's quite freeing in that way. It is actually, because every time if you, have, if you want to reduce the noise of your head, you have to be organized to a certain extent. And being designers, ideas are always bustling in and it is easy to get distracted sometimes about the things or the path that you were actually walking on. And I think having that set of rails on which to run, it's always going to you know, help you uh, more than anything. And I think for, for anybody who is doing a freelance contract or even if you are part of a bigger team and if you want to make sure that you're not distracted out of the end goals, you must have a certain set of um, deadline-based breakdown of the work that when it is supposed to be finished because that is the only way you can reduce the procrastinations part of uh, your daily life. Um, Absolutely. All right. But I have some serious questions, but before getting there, I want to just jump into the fun parts and then we can come back. Are you ready? I think I am. So we are all set for the rapid fire questioning. So what is the coolest feature in your home? The coolest feature in my home, I would say, are my U-lights. It's definitely not as exciting as I hoped it would be, but uh, I do thoroughly enjoy you and also the, the, the Philips UMB lights from my television. <laughs> <laughs> but you, your name is Philip, and Philips is based out of uh, Netherlands. This is where they started their organization and the company. And I think yeah. that innovation for... Uh, um, the audio cassettes, video cassettes, VCDs, DVDs, uh, I think everything that came out of the home of Philips uh, in Netherlands, it actually gives you uh, absolutely be proud of that, uh, the legacy. <laughs> Definitely. Shout out to Philips. <laughs> yeah, they do a lot of uh, a lot of good things and they've definitely contributed to the world of design and uh, put the Netherlands on the map. All right, second question. Do you have any nicknames? Uh, no, not, not that I can think of, to be honest. It's just Philip, maybe Phil for short, but uh, 
nothing too creative, but I am open to suggestions. <laughs> All right. Would your 12-year-old self think you were cool? As I am today? Yeah. Uh, when I was 12, I was already hanging around the computer quite a lot. So I, I, I guess when I would tell my 12-year-old that I have a 49-inch ultra-wide monitor, I think I would find myself pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any hidden talents that you might have that very limited number of people know? I'm uh, quite a decent table tennis player. Ah. Um, I don't do well at uh, table soccer. I don't ah. know if that would be the correct pronunciation. I don't know that thing. Yeah. No, when, when you're like, a, you have like this table where you can, yeah, that, that's the one. Yeah. I'm horrible at that. But when it comes to, uh, if, if we're talking about the agency life, for example, you have to have like this soccer game, a table tennis and beanbags. I can represent myself decently on the table tennis. Okay. <laughs> Your favorite board game? Uh, Colonists of Catan. I, I, I hope I don't. Catan? Is something I played with my friends, but not, I think, only once that I was part of it. But yeah, good choice, though. All right. Otherwise, uh, it would have been Monopoly, I guess. But uh, I do really enjoy the emotional. That's me, what I like about it. <laughs> In the end, you, the, it often ends with somebody just flipping the board. That's how it ends, right? That's when you've won. I don't think if there's no board flip happening, you haven't won Monopoly. <laughs> It should leave emotional scars. It should at least place a dent in a relationship. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm such a horrible person. Sorry. Uh, so when I was at university, um, so we had this experience design project that was assigned to us, which was redesigning board games, and we got Monopoly. And during oh, wow. that stages, it turned out that that was the most difficult game to redesign. So we had this uh, redesign, which is called calm monopoly uh, so it doesn't didn't have the board didn't have any corners it was a round one and you didn't go to jail you went to meditation center what <laughs> <laughs> uh, were the reaction have you validated that assumption or <laughs> we actually tested we had to create the board and the pieces and everything and we had to oh, do a demo awesome. with other people that what is happening here and uh, rather than uh, bringing in the cards where you have to pay, you are getting calm and reward cards. And you also had a bowl of uh, M&Ms or jelly babies on the, on, on, on the, in the play area. So you pull out a card and says, have a jelly baby. So the person who is supposed to get punished otherwise will get a jelly baby and they'll feel calm and better. And so it was an anti- <laughs> I think on 2023, it, it definitely has the chances of succeeding. We can all use a few jelly beans now and then. That was that. So books or movies? I really enjoy books for learning, but I would have to go with movies. Okay. So which is your favorite book? It would be The One Thing from uh. Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. It's definitely my favorite book because as an entrepreneur, I can definitely be all over the place. There are always 100 things at least that I find very interesting and understanding that uh, there is a lot of joy to find in a single thing for me is incredibly valuable. Nice. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have a look at that. And your favorite movie then? Mm, that 
varies from time to time. Um, I think Matrix, which is like an all-time, all-time favorite, or, or Snatch. I would say Snatch. Snatch. Snatch is a good choice, actually. Snatch, and I would uh, also add in the same category, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, yeah storytelling you can't beat it or or any pop fiction or or yes Quentin Tarantino movies uh, yeah for sure but I uh, yeah and also a huge Marvel dork but I'm also quite bad at answering your question with most favorite but uh, snatch on the Marvel side this season we have somebody who got uh, Emmy nominated for the, their work in Marvel and uh, watch out for that episode i think that that episode is already live when this episode will come out um so we were talking and uh, all the things in the futuristic ui that is happening or will happen so anything which is on iron man's glass phone to the wakanda forever's technology this all been done by this company called perception so they have been uh, nominated for amy for uh, the work that they have done and it is an amazing episode i hope that you'll uh, enjoy that as well so i geeked out myself talking about those things with uh, <laughs> uh, yeah definitely <laughs> i I, th I think f when you talk to other designers and and they talk about like oh i made this beautiful web application and you can say i made the the interface in the iron man movies you win it's it's game over instantly so Doug Appleton is his name and that episode when we were um, digging about it, it was, you know, I was like the start of the conversation, I was like, man, where were you? And I, we couldn't, we never thought about that, the UI, which is being used here, somebody designed it because it was in the requirements spec. And that is how wide uh, our jobs and, you know, the, the domain is that you get to design this UI that doesn't exist, yeah. that may not exist at all. And then you have, uh, these old-timey Asimov uh, and the, these great, great uh, futurists who um, have this power to visualize how the future is going to be from Star Trek, the tricorder that, you know, you, you communicate turns into a mobile phone in, uh, today. So thinking about the tech which is being visualized right now by uh, people uh, who are creating science fiction, it's, it's amazing. I mean, that is the journey, that is the inspiration people take, that that's the place we want to be. Yeah, so. yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting topic, and I, I keep thinking about, for example, if you think about like an Iron Man helmet, uh -huh. and then in the real world, like there's there are these major companies who are struggling with AR VR glasses. It's like, come on, guys, we sh should have had that Iron Man helmet already. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So uh, coming back to the conversation that we were having, I mean, you wrote this article called uh, Sick of Creating Products Nobody Wants. Um, you talk about user-centered and ego-centered design. So what makes a product user-centered or ego-centered in the narrative? What is the difference? For, for the design process that starts early on, uh, and, and I would almost say it's not the product's fault, uh, it's when assumptions are be are being made actionable when people go into meetings and say i know what we need to do this is exactly what everyone needs and one of my personal struggles has been or what i've experienced throughout my 
journey, not a fan of that word, but through my experience is that it's always quite difficult to place user research in a project, especially on the agency side when uh, when there's like hourly billing and the client also asks user research, how much do we need and is it then done? Or maybe we learn something and you have to iterate or oh, how much will that cost? Those can be like tough conversations to have. And even in larger organizations, it's not always a, a plain or a level playing field. Um, there are people who are either a bit more introvert or a bit more extrovert, people who have their own maybe political agenda within an organization. It has so many, almost like a house of cards, political view to things, not pushing people uh, in the subway. But I think the, the, the idea of really being adopting user-centered design is, is the exact opposite of ego-centered design. It's about being open and being okay with not knowing things for sure, being willing to contribute ideas, but not claiming them as an absolute truth. Uh, being able to see them is in a way of saying, I have this idea or an assumption, or I would love to explore something. It's about letting go of that ego and yeah, placing yourself in a, or, or being able to be wrong, I guess. So the journey to be the king of the North, you have to start by knowing nothing. Oh, I'm John snowing it all day. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, to be honest, that's definitely an interesting area you're heading down to, because I had a conversation with uh, someone who is uh, early on in, in his career. And he said that he had trouble to uh, communicate his thoughts and, and, and being, being able to say, well, I think this is what we should do because I don't have the authority yet. I don't have the track record yet. And I was talking to him about, well, you shouldn't want to play that game as well. It's not your job as a designer to say, I know what we need to do. It is your job to say, to actually guide the client in finding the right solution and validating ideas. It's not about being the loudest in the room or having the most experienced. It's about introducing the user-centered design part. True, and that is where the evidence-based design is something you know comes to play. It's not about making yeah. a logo five pixel larger, two inches to the left or the right. It's all about that, what solution that you are actually providing. Is it tested? Is it uh, validated? Uh, have you checked it out with what the actual users uh, are going to behave with it rather than somebody from uh, an upper management just making sure, yeah, I like that color, let's go with it. It's, it could not be the approach. And no, <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. Knowing that you are not the user, you are definitely not the user. And uh, actually, that is uh, one of the chapters in my book, which says you are not the user. Um, so <laughs> if you get it, we're so aligned. <laughs> shameless, shameless plug. The book is called um, UX Decoded. And uh, if you get a chance to uh, have a look around, you are you know, invited to. But <laughs> will do. Uh, I think this is for the first time in all the podcast recording, the book has actually come up because we are talking on the topic about it. Um, so moving on from, from that part of your business life or uh, practice life, you are still doing something about freelancers. You were 
in, in the process of coming up with a solution that is going to help freelancers achieve something. Uh, what is it about? I mean, we spoke very briefly about it um, last week. I really wanted to know more about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it all, it, we're all solving our own problems, right? Uh, for me, it was when I was, I've worked in different ways. So I, I ran a small web design agency. I worked as a freelancer. At some point I said, well, it's the design thinking and, and it's a design thinking studio taking on own projects directly. And I always encountered a few things in every situation that were not for me. When it comes to building a business, I'm not a business developer and I'm also not very passionate about building a team and, and becoming something more than a designer or a specialist in my trade. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not for me. And when I was, for example, freelancing, it, there's this feast and famine thing going around. So when you're <laughs> fully booked for a, yeah. for, a long, for a long time with a single client, you have this certainty and you're very billable because you have this long-term engagement. It's nice money, but you're working your uh, behind off. I don't know if what, what language is appropriate here, but you you get the picture. I'll go. But... I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So you're working your ass off. <laughs> but at the same time, when that project ends, there's nothing. And when you're working on a project, it's also really hard to keep planting those seeds for your next project because you're actually doing the work. So I translate that to when you're working in your business, you're not able to work on your business. When I really got into design sprints, I wasn't exactly, I didn't understand why exactly. I, I knew that I really liked having a clear process because with design thinking, you have those phases, but you're always creating these custom projects for clients. So what was it exactly that I really liked about design sprints? It's actually that you have a very productized service. So it's a way of not only getting away from hourly billing, which uh, is a whole separate story, I guess, which I'll park or leave for someone else, but having something where you can say, okay, you have a problem and I have a solution for it. It shouldn't matter how many hours it takes me to solve it. I have invested numerous of hours to building the perfect solution for that. If you work with me, I'm solving your problem. This is what it will cost you. And I do it in my own way. That's it. That's an idea that I'm really excited about because it gives you a lot of freedom. It stops a lot of discussion about hours and you have a repeatable process that you can improve every time you do it. It's also a lot more scalable. So, when I talk about productized services, I think it's important to understand that with a design sprint, for example, you can say, okay, if I land a new design sprint job today, I know exactly what I need to do. I have this list of actions. I'm sending out this email and I can copy paste it from Notion or elsewhere. I'm sending out this intake form, which is a type form or whatever form. And you can save yourself a lot of time by really automating and standardizing a lot of those things. Because of that, you become a lot more scalable than you would normally be. So your income doesn't directly relate to the time you spend working. And that's something that I think is very interesting. So hmm. with those insights, I'm now still validating and researching. And 
I can honestly say that I'm quite confident that I'm heading down that direction is to build a three month program in which I want to help creative freelancers to create a unique offering, figuring out who are you, what do you like to do, and what is the most valuable thing you can offer to a client and really wrapping that in a nice package. (laughs) Right. And how one can join this program of yours? For now, I would just say connect with me on LinkedIn. So once again, my <laughs> name is Philip Wallage. Uh, yesterday, actually, I purchased this lovely domain, which is philip.nl. Might be uh-huh. a bit easier to reach me through that one. Um, but just connect with me and get in touch. Definitely will do. And I think by the time this episode comes out, that we'll have the URL that you just uh, talked about up and running. We'll just put that URL in the description of this video and on the video side of things and uh, also in the description on other podcast um, uh, platforms. So definitely would look forward to what you have to offer and would love to know more about the productization part of it. It makes sense to basically not spend way too much time and energy in reinventing the wheel and doing the same things that you've been doing over and over again and i really like two parts uh, that you things that you mentioned one was feast or famine and the second thing that you said was if you are working in your business you are not working on your business so that clears out a lot of debate that people have is that while you're working, are you working in your business? As in, are you hands-on doing everything which is needed there? Exactly. But at the same time, you cannot grow, you cannot scale, and you are keep busy doing things which are just means to meet the end. Yeah, wow. and the scalability part that you mentioned is also something for me, I might be a bit slow to the, to the table on these parts, but actually being aware that you can scale your business in different ways. So the most common one is hiring people. And that's for some reason, what a lot of people think is the way they need to go. Like I need to generate more revenue so I can hire more people so I can make more revenue. Uh, But it's not the only way. The other way would be automating your business automation. Um, And the other one would be through content. So imagine you have For example, you're building websites for a client and you have a specific intake process that might be some sort of a half a day session in which you'll have to ask a lot of questions. The client will need to look things up and it'll take half a day. Now, imagine that you have this really good onboarding forms and questions, and it could be through some sort of video content as well, where it can be a bit more personal and engaging you can save yourself a lot of time. So instead of having an intake that will take you as a person four hours, it will now only take one hour, but you're still able to deliver the same value. So you're actually building out your capacity because you're able to deliver the same quality, maybe even for the same money or maybe more, but it doesn't it doesn't tie as much into your time. So it'll take you less time to get the same result. Wow. I'm stealing ideas from this conversation for uh, our day-to-day usage. So, yeah. just. uh, (laughs) I I actually, um, when I was thinking about this, I've done research with creative freelancers and with digital agencies and perhaps to indulge you even a little bit more. uh, One of the challenges that agencies face is standardizing their services. So when you think about a full service agency, 
they might start with maybe one SEO expert. And when there's a new client or a project, they will go to him or her and ask, hey, this is the job, what should we do? He makes some sort of an educated guess and, and some requests, some hours, and that's the proposal. But what happens when things go well and you have four or five SEO people? Does everyone do it their own way? Or does your agency have a SOP or a, some sort of a procedure uh, that to standardize the way they provide that service? True. Well, interesting and interesting. I think the conversation that you get out of um, the real market experiences when you are not just um, designing for a particular product or a solution, the other side of it, when we're talking about the business and the optimization part, they are not just useful for the individual designers, but people who are managing teams as well, because optimization becomes their challenge, the availability becomes their challenge. And for me personally, if I see that I have a large team, and when it comes to managing those, I think optimization is the keyword here. We did some productization and uh, some process documentation was standardized so that every time we don't have to start from file new. Uh, <laughs> Blank screen. Oh, no. <laughs> and the entire process saved us about close to 250 hours per project that we actually uh, went about. If it is a full scale wow. um, uh, design project, which goes in the vicinity of 800, 900 hours, we were able to cut it down by 250. So it just went somewhere around 600, 650 hours. Um, mm. so it not just benefited our customers, um, but for them, we were, again, uh, even though it, it looks like the price is in the way upper range than they would expect from uh, something uh, fully remote in India. But at the same time, we were able to deliver the quality because the time taken on the project was on the lower side. So the efficiency meeting with organization uh, structure of uh, product execution side mixed together, that is when the productivity actually came to be. So the relationships with the clients actually improved, the efficiency bought on the table, set the company's process and the culture of uh, any new person joining in. We don't have to. Exactly. Them everything. They just can actually have a look at the documentation which is available and they should know that how to uh, go through those and uh, look at how the linear experience that we are providing for, for our customers. So that actually plays out well, and it, it falls under the same uh, solution that you just talked about, about productization. And when you start your uh, program, I'll ensure that at least a couple of people from my uh, company or agency, they should be a part of that. Uh, so I'll keep an eye out for you. So oh, that's on awesome. <laughs> on the same ground, what advice would you like to give to somebody um, who is just starting out as a freelancer, just starting out the career in design. And what do you think is in the future for them from this point onward, since um, the designations have changed, the uh, AI and the generative um, artificial intelligence places are, uh, you know, things are coming in. It's very confusing times, to be honest. So what yeah. are the things <laughs> should do? What are the things they should look out for? I would say that, first of all, I, now there might be more distractions than ever and distractions sounds very negative, but there are so many different. No, there are, there are true. It's, it's nothing negative about it. There are distractions because they are, nobody is sure that whether they want to build the next iPhone UI or if they are going to do the next AI generated, uh, you know, 
Yeah, you... but but that that makes it important to explore, right? I mean, you have a lot of options, and there's. I think it would be good to let people know that there's they shouldn't think in a way of right and wrong. When I when I was working on that web design agency and it didn't re we didn't really get it off the ground, we were stuck with small clients and. Eh, you can see it as a failure, but it's also a learning point and, and a, a really interesting moment to say, you know what, I've tried this, this didn't work for me. I'm going to look for something that I find more exciting or get more fun out of it. And not seeing that as good or bad, but simply saying, you know what, I have a new insight. Now I'm going here. And I truly believe that experiment with what you can find, look into things that you find interesting and have fun and things will find its place. Uh, I don't want to sound too luffy duffy fluffy, but I do think that's what it comes down to. You, you have an interest for a reason. Things speak to you for whatever reason. And if you find something you enjoy and you get good at it, you'll yeah. fi also find a way to make some money from it. Definitely, I agree. And I would also add that tools are just means to uh, express. They are not the end of the world. People, uh, we, I personally started by being very much impressed by what Flash could do. And death of Flash happened way before uh, anything that you see in media. Uh, it, it died the moment it was bought by Adobe. Uh, the Macromedia uh, takeover was the end of it back in 2006 and, and, and around. Can, can, uh, can't we blame Apple a bit or? Uh... No, no, <laughs> because see the price point actually plays a bigger role, uh, I believe personally. Because before that, the if you can if you want to buy a license for Flash, it was hardly hundred dollars, fifty dollars, or fifty dollars or oh. so. The Adobe takeover happened; the license price went up to hundred and fifty dollars or something. So that three times the pricing for that Dreamweaver, uh, you know, Photoshop came with a you know different package at that time, and combined together, something that you could have bought in like for two hundred dollars, now you have to pay seven hundred and fifty something uh, on top of it. Mm. And that was the ridiculous point in the design history. Now Adobe has went ahead and bought Figma. Um, yeah, I just wanted to go there. <laughs> You're not worried at all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we have to be worried, even though there are a lot of anti-competency laws out there, and I'm not sure if it's, this is something that I should personally be saying here. But see, tools will come and go, and companies like Absolutely. Adobe will come and try and absorb things which they want to. They've come up with plenty of good products. I was a Photoshop loyalist to design, unless until I realized that, now this is not cutting it. Then you have to <laughs> uh, start with something on XD, and then we went to Sketch, and then uh, after Sketches, is, I don't know, Demise, may I maybe call it, or, or Figma yeah. is gone. Uh, we are all um, over Figma right now. But there are plenty yeah. of tools available. They'll come and go. So never be loyal to um, the tools. Maybe uh, the things like NFT came and went by. We just looked into the digital uh, currency and nobody is sure that where that is headed. So on the same yeah. ground, if you think that the AI is here to stay, you never know. Because again, it could be the this year's uh, yeah. trend, which is... Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think also when you've when you've experienced a lot more through the years, you've seen things come and go. Uh, I can imagine that it seems like impossible that LinkedIn would disappear, you know, but it wouldn't be the first social network that would vanish for whatever reason. 
And I, right. I think with the same mindset that you should not, I mean, it's good to invest in a tool. You should get familiar with it because it's the tool of your trade. It's like your hammer, your screwdriver, you're using it. Uh, but the same with um, like building relationships on, on social media with LinkedIn, for example, I would highly recommend people to also get their own CRM to keep track of the people that they've met, that they've spoken to and right. yeah, not lose those people out of sight because for whatever reason, some network stops existing. Oh, true. That's, uh, that's an excellent advice for anybody because from MySpace to Orkut to there was something called Google Wave. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, we, had, we also had that, right? Google had also something. Yeah, yeah that, last, that lasted about four hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think this is a good, uh, great way of starting out that as a freelancer, make sure that you're married to uh, the, the, the requirement side, the curiosity side of the business, the challenges mm. side of the business, then looking into that, this is the tool that I work for. This is the technology I want to go in. And that's the end of it. I, I do think it's really important for beginners to understand that their work is to solve problems for a client or a customer. And that it's really not about designing something, it's about solving something. And if you really want to stand out, I would highly recommend picking either an industry that you're really interested in or a specific topic or a specific area and, and find like your unique angle. And it could be anything for maybe you want to be the king or queen of accessibility and you want to do a WCAG accessibility audits for customers or maybe you want to be a workshop hero there are so many different things but yeah keep in mind who you're helping with what <laughs> that's i think my Absolutely. would be my key message <laughs> well uh with that i would like to thank you philip for joining us for today's podcast this has been a very lively conversation i mean the participation has been enriching and i think the the overall takeaways from this conversations are definitely going to be very handy and practical for anybody who is listening in so first off i'd like to thank you for joining the conversation um and uh, i also like to thank everybody who has been with us listening to the podcast or watching it on youtube so philip uh, any last words uh, it's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure uh, and uh I'd love to get connected with people. So uh, if you think uh, the information that I'm sharing could be valuable for you, feel free to connect with me. Uh, I'm mostly on LinkedIn for now. <laughs> before your website comes live. Philip, yeah, before LinkedIn uh, goes offline. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? So thank you very much. And guys, whoever watching this, uh, let's catch up another episode next week. Or you can, if you want to check out the first two seasons, everything is out there and make sure you listen in. These are the best leaders of the industry doing the, some of the amazing work and have a very different career path that they have followed. A lot to learn, a lot to see and a lot to enjoy. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.